Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You know, it's easy when you're younger and TikTok does skew younger. It's easy when you're younger to go, oh, I will just be an actor. Whereas, you know, the, the reality of it is if you want to be an actor, get ready to starve. And if you want to be an actor, it's not just talent. You also have to have an enormous pool of luck. And then once the luck comes, you have to be ready to graft. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Balancing Acts. In this conversation, I talk to actor and comedian Ethan Lawrence. Hello, I'm Steve Whiteley and welcome to Balancing Acts, a series of conversations with an array of creatives. We talk about their journey, the struggles they faced whilst progressing their career, strategies they use to unlock their creativity, how they balance their career with their personal lives, what impact this has had on their mental health and lots more. As an actor, Ethan is known for starring in Bad Education, both a TV series and feature film, modern horror stories on Comedy Central, and of course, Afterlife, where he was initially meant to be in only one episode, but Ricky Gervais liked his uh, performance so much, he then played a reoccurring role. This was a great conversation. We talk about Ethan's journey as an actor, what it was like working with Ricky Gervais. Obviously, that was a question that I had to ask. What he likes about talking to his fans directly on TikTok and loads more. We went down the rabbit hole on this one. We started talking about social media brands, cynical exploitation of certain movements and uh, lots of other fascinating areas. So, uh, yeah, this was a really good one. Very much enjoyed talking to Ethan we first met on the comedy circuit about five years ago and uh yeah i always always found him a very funny guy so it was great to touch base and uh have a good natter so without further ado over to ethan so we were just saying before we hit record that the last time we saw each other we think was in about 2017 or 18 at a gig Yes. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm reasonably certain. Yeah. Yeah. That you you were topless at as part of your your shtick. Almost certainly. Yeah. As, yeah. Especially in that period of my career, I was taking my shirt off a lot. Yeah. It was hot. Yeah. The venues were hot then. Very hot venues. It, it, it was. I mean, that was partly it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's good to dress it up like that at this point now. Yeah. 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 Um, I was just warm. That had nothing to do with uh, your your character having a breakdown of sorts on stage. 
Absolutely not. No, no, I, no. If you look back on it now, you can see the through line was just a, a very, very high core temperature. Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, I run hot. What can I say? <laughs> what What was it that led you to stop doing stand up then? Because you were doing, you know, you were you were gigging hard. Was it because the acting stuff just took over? It was. So it's a combination of two things. I was I was slowly falling out of love with it. What um, what, 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 what aspects were about stand up? Are you falling out of love with? I found that I wasn't really getting out with it, getting okay. anywhere with it. And like, okay. there was a, there was a sense sort of at the back of my mind that like, I was, I mean, cause, cause I live in Essex and I was yeah. traveling into London for every gig. So near enough, every gig I was doing, I was like firmly in the red. Right. Uh, so, you know, I'm losing money on something that I'm not getting much dividends for. So yeah. that was happening at the back of my head. But then also in reality, the acting was going very, very poorly. Uh, to the point where mid 2018, I took up pizza delivery as what was supposed to be like a stopgap for maybe a couple of months, right? Uh, and ended up being a full year. Okay. Uh, and because I was doing that, I then no longer had evenings uh, because I was busy working. So the comedy went completely. And even after I stopped in 2019, there was a there was a thought in the back of my head like, well, maybe I can pick it back up. This was around the time that I'd um, finished shooting Afterlife Series Two, which is what got me out of the pizza delivery, okay. uh, but. That was in late 2019, and then obviously in March 2020, we all know what happened there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, it's crazy, isn't it? Like perception is such a funny thing because you know you look at someone like yourself, you've done bad education, obviously, and and uh, numerous other roles, and as you, as you said, afterlife. And uh, I know I've seen on your TikTok you do these um, these Q and As, which we'll talk about, and you're very o- open and honest and transparent with your followers, but. Um, you you'd think oh yeah he's sort of he's off and away you know but to see, it's such a roller coaster isn't it you can you can like be cast in something and be out there like yeah this is amazing and then that job finishes and then the the phone doesn't ring uh for the next 6 months or however long for sure and like you know it's it's the same in any sort of creative industry i think like you know there are there are periods of great great work and then long fallow periods yeah but then i mean it's not just creative work like you know most folk who work in the creative industry are essentially self-employed contractors. Yeah. And that's the same across all kinds of self-employment. Like, you know, if you, if you're a plumber, say like, you know, you're more likely, I would guess to have jobs at high in the summer and high in the winter when pipes are playing up, mm-hmm. where, you know, spring and autumn where it's more temperate, you might be okay. Um, it's, it's the same across any kind of self-employed industry. I think the, one thing that I do, I mean, you mentioned sort of like, you know, being open and transparent about the job. Uh, I think there's a, there's a level to which the, the working in the creative industry is kind of has a sort of mystification process around it. Yeah. Uh, which is, it certainly was largely before social media. Like, you know, it felt like actors and like musicians and comedy performers were sort of like operating behind like a veil of untouchable godhood. Whereas in reality, as, 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 as we know, and as I'm trying to sort of teach people, like, you know, it's, it's the same as any other kind of job. There are good spots, there are bad spots. And like, mm. you know, you have to be at a crazy high level to make it a, like a consistent thing. Yeah. Like, you know, we, we can't, we can't all be Tom Cruise, unfortunately, although I am the same height as him. So, okay. That's, that means something I'm sure. Yeah. I can see you sort of moving into the lookalike industry. Uh, sure. Yeah. Tom Cruise. Yeah, uh, but I've been the Mission Impossibles, I reckon. 
Yeah, totally. Yeah, just sellotape me to the bottom of a plane. That'll be fine. <laughs> Have you got to a point with it where, because I know you've had a few of these cycles now, where I know it happened after a bad education, where you had a period where you weren't getting any work, and then you've, you've, had, a, you've had that since, because I know you've been, as I said, you've been open about it on Instagram. Have you got to a point now where you've got strategies that you've implemented to protect your mental health when that sort of cycle does happen? Or rear its ugly head. I mean, it's it's interesting you bring that up because e- even at the top point of the cycle, yeah, you do have to be very consciously aware that it can go at a moment's notice. Like right. one of the most difficult things I think about working, uh, certainly at my level in the acting industry, is that like nine times out of ten, when you go up for an audition, you're not going to get it. Yeah, and so you know. I, I joke sometimes that I've had more job interviews than some people have had hot dinners. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, if, and if you count it as a job interview, and each time you get blown back a failed job interview, like you have to have already developed that thick skin. Yeah. Uh, to go right, okay, so that didn't work out. So on to the next. So mm-hmm. I, I guess the mental health armor that you have in that regard is that you just have to keep marching. Like you know, it's it's a it's a forced march into the darkness, but it it requires also a certain level of self belief where you think to yourself, right didn't get that one but i've got this behind me i've got this to do now and in the future that can bring other things yeah like you have to sort of compartmentalize part present and future to sort of so you you know you can use nostalgia to help yourself feel better you can look at the list of auditions that you have to make you feel better and you can also think to yourself right well i've got this job like continuity is one of the best things you can have in this industry like uh certainly for bad education and afterlife like knowing that I can, I'll be coming back for another series. Like, you know, yeah. I know that in March there will be this paycheck. Yeah. Is a, is a beautiful thing. Uh, something that the pandemic royally messed up. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Um, but then even then, uh, I secured a job like right in the middle of March for um, some work on horrible histories. Yeah. I which we that. just, we just finished that now. Right. So it was still in the pipeline. It was still going. So it's all about planting seeds, I think. And it's, it's quite a precarious balance, isn't it? Because you're going into these auditions knowing, as you said, that there's a very slim chance that you're going to get the job, you're going to book the job. But you also have to go in with a certain amount of optimism. And because, you know, there's a certain mindset, you're like, almost like this, this thing of visualization, you know, I've got, I'm visualizing, that I'm going to get this job. So it must be like a weird balance to try and figure that out in your mind to, to go in there with the sort of, to protect yourself from the potential disappointment, but also to not go in there too pessimistic almost. I mean, it's, it's something that I've had to learn to do over the course of my career, which is just knowing your worth. Right. Like, you know, it it took a long while for me to get there mentally. Yeah. But once I got to a stage where I'm like, no, I, I am good at this. Like, you know, I, I am a very, very good professional actor. Yeah. And also once you start to sort of see through the gauze of it, like, you know, so it, more often than not, it doesn't come down to individual talent so much mm-hmm. in this industry. Like obviously everyone who's going up for these parts is good. Yeah. Like, you know, that's not that's not in question. It's more of a case of shape and size and sound and chemistry. And like these are things that you can't teach. Yeah. Completely like, you know, out of your control. Yeah. yeah. And you have to sort of you have to accept that to yeah. a certain degree. And honestly, when you do accept that, it feels like a like a, a burden has been lifted to a certain degree for sure yeah there's something about just letting go yeah because you, you think to yourself well I, I didn't book that but that's that's not because i'm not good 
Yeah. It's because I was the wrong shape. It was because they had someone booked already that I didn't have good chemistry with. Yeah. Like, you know, it's all, it's, it's more to do with that than talent. And I think if you're sort of early doors in a career in a creative industry, that's something that you have to learn pretty fast. If you want to get, if you want to get anywhere really without sort of debilitating yourself mentally. Yeah. Was that something that was drilled into you or was um, taught when you were studying theatre studies at university? And and also, was there um, an element of trying to prep you for how this industry can affect your mental health in a a detrimental way? I I didn't actually go to uh, like a drama school. I went to a a university to study drama and creative writing, which was largely more theoretical. Okay, you went to Royal Holloway, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that was, you know, that wasn't a course that was, as as you put it, sort of like prepping you for the industry. It was more okay. about creating, like, you know, drama academics, future, you know, doctors and PhDs and things like that. I see. Okay. Uh, so while there were elements in there that were sort of like, you know, the the like the mechanics of theatre and things like that, yeah. it wasn't like a, I guess the word you'd use would be vocational. Like yeah. it wasn't sort of like a vocational degree. Right. Uh, so all this stuff I basically learned on the on flight the by, yeah, by actually doing it and experiencing yeah. it. Yeah. Have you found agents in the past to be particularly helpful and supportive in that realm? Uh, well, I've I've been with one agent only since okay. uh, since I've been, uh, been working in the industry, and that only happened because after the second series of Bad Education, I knew a guy who knew a guy who used to work for a guy. I know a guy, and then I met that. Guy. Guy. Yeah, you know. <laughs> And I went on down to the big city and he said, yeah, yeah, something about you, kid. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I've, I've been with him for eight years now. And, okay. it, you know, it, it radically changed my career. Like, you know, because before it was like, it, it, it was so tenuous. It was on tenterhooks. Like, you know, I, I went off to do bad education sort of apropos of nothing. Mm. And then I was like, oh, well, that was fun, but surely nothing will come of this. And then suddenly it's like series two and it's like, okay, well, we're on a roll here. Yeah. And then uh, Michael, my agent sort of, saw something in me and was like right we, we can do something here and uh yeah since then i mean straight after that i booked um a show on sky living called trying again and that was like wicked smart and it was like great so okay i've now set myself up in a position where i'm i'm ready to go like i have yeah. a i have a, a burgeoning career here yeah and do you consider now your agent <clears throat> like a, a a mate or because it's difficult sometimes to decipher the relationship between talent and an agent because essentially it's a business relationship but i guess in your particularly in your case where you've been working with the same person for a number of years you're gonna potentially grow closer as a result how, how have you found navigating that relationship uh it's, it's been on on i was about to say on the whole but it is just genuine generally just been good like yeah. you know we've we've got a good working relationship like you know we at beginning in the beginning and sort of midpoint of every year, we have a conversation about, you know, what do you want to do for the next six months? But then, so that's all good. Like, you know, it's a conversation rather than a, you do this, you do this, you do this. Yeah. And like, in addition to that, like, you know, if there's like a screener for something that I've done or anything like that, like Michael is priority number one for the guest list. Right. And like, you know, that will be when we go out and like, you know, watch our, watch our thing that we managed to get together and then get rat in the, uh, in the hotel lobby yeah which is uh, yeah so what you get into the game for that's it the glamour yeah <laughs> but yeah that's um yeah so i i very much consider michael a friend um you know alongside being uh, uh being business partners in a way yeah yeah great 
And what's it, what's it been like when you're on set with the likes of Jack Whitehall and Ricky Gervais? Is there has there been any element of imposter syndrome or you know this feeling of like wow you know these guys are top of their game i really need to be on point i mean imposter syndrome i found never really goes away and i think that's I i think that's largely tied into the fact that what we were discussing earlier with how sort of tenuous this can be sometimes like you know how fragile the whole thing is uh, like, you know, and it, it wasn't so long ago. I mean, it's only 2019 that I stopped doing pizza delivery. Like, you know, it's only two years ago. Yeah, yeah. So that was a that was a humbling experience. But in terms of um, you know, to get to the to get to the meat of your question, <laughs> like, you know, working with um, like, you know, people who are far, far more advanced in the industry than I am or possibly will ever be. Yeah. Um, I think early doors uh, with because like we're basically talking about the book end of my career here. Because yeah. bad education was the first thing that I did, and afterlife outside of horrible history is the most recent. Yeah. So you know that's that's a period of nearly ten years. So I would hope one would have changed over the course of ten years. Yeah. Certainly early doors with Jack, like you know, I felt incredibly grateful. Yeah. Um, like you know, to be working in the industry that I'd always want to work in. Mm-hmm. Um, which is you know, it's it that that's that. But like yeah. moving on to sort of afterlife, and especially what happened between series one and two. Because in series one, I was uh, essentially a cameo performance. Like I was in one yeah. scene, yeah, uh, sticking some recorders up my nose. And then a year later, uh, I get the call saying, yeah, "Yeah, you're coming back, but you're coming back in all six episodes." And I think that, that must was be such a great feeling to know that, that you, you smash incredible. that scene beyond belief that they've decided to make you, you know, a reoccurring character. Absolutely incredible, and like especially coming off the back of a year in the pizza delivery wilderness, it was like. Yeah. No yeah. way, I have got this. I have got this. Yeah. And it was, it really sort of reframed and refocused my relationship with my own sort of self confidence and performance. Cause I was thinking to myself, well, look, like Ricky Gervais is Ricky Gervais. And he's upgraded me from cameo to series regular. Great, he must have seen something. Cause like Afterlife yeah. is his baby. Like, you know, he yeah, writes yeah. and directs and stars. Like, you know, it's not, you know, it's, it's not some sort of like sideways casting director sort of shifting in me in at 90 degrees this is yeah. the governor saying you yeah and you know there's there, there's something to that because i mean my god if if you if you're in ricky Gervais's good books then that's that that's a good place to be as an actor and especially as a comedy performer yeah that's that's uh must be a remarkable feeling and what was the experience and process like of working with ricky you know who's someone who's um I always say this. I always say it with American accent. Uh, a multi hyphenate. I was at, I went to, <laughs> I was at this film festival a couple of years ago, and they had a panel with like, all the American agents, and uh, they'll say, you know, we're we're really looking for the next. Uh, we're looking for a multi hyphenate. You know, the next Phoebe Waller Bridge, someone that can write and act, and um, as if it's like this innovative thing. Uh, <laughs> and it hasn't <laughs> hasn't been done before. But anyway, I'm very the actual off- part of the human condition as well. Like- <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, my question is, what was it like working with someone who is, you know, the writer, director and an actor, and you're, you're obviously there on set as an actor. How did that differ to working on other acting jobs where the director is the director, the writer is the writer, and then, you know, the cast is the cast? I mean, one of the things that sort of um, defines working with Gervais over um, sort of your more journeyman style director is that because he's so intensely involved at the top level of his production, he knows how to save time. Right. That's interesting. So like, 
yeah, generally, like a, a sh- working day on a shoot would be, you know, this this is very much a generalization, but it would yeah. be we start rolling cameras at eight o'clock in the morning and like wrap camera at seven o'clock in the evening. And obviously there's makeup before that, costume before that, everything like that, all the setup and then after. Yeah. Um, but on a Gervais shoot, if you're still working at half four, something's gone wrong. Really? Yeah. Like, you know, he he comes in knowing full well, right, I know what coverage I need. Okay. And that, that doesn't need to be a conversation about that. that. You know, he doesn't need to pass it by the director because he is the director. He doesn't need to yeah. pass it by the writer because he is the writer. Right. He doesn't need to pass it by his top star because guess what? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and he has an almost telepathic relationship with his director of photography. Okay. Uh, is, is, um, is that the same guy he's used on his various projects? I think that um, he's been working with Hawk since extras. So right. uh, basically everything sort of post office. Interesting. Uh, so they've, they've got this telepathic relationship. Um, the uh, Hawk, the director of photography, has a telepathic relationship with the B camera. Okay. And so like, you know, there's not much talking. There's not much faffing around. And Ricky is the master of doing like um, cross camera shots. Okay. Because then he knows that in terms of sound in the edit, he doesn't have to faff around, like you know, with multiple different framings. Like he's he he's got the sound already synced. Yeah. So everything he does in like the pre-production is in service of getting everything done as quickly as possible. Okay, that's great. And so, how does that affect you as an actor? Obviously, it means you've got a shorter day, but does it also mean that you have less takes than you would have usually on another shoot? Well, it's it's there's a weird paradox to it because you never feel rushed, and I think that's because, as well as uh, um, Ricky's many other talents, one of his low key talents that not a lot of people are talking about is how good he is as a casting director. And mm-hmm. that sounds like I'm sort of blowing smoke up my own ass, but like <laughs> he he casts people because of what they represent and what they can do. Yeah. So if you're there he knows, right, I can get this performance out of this actor. And by and large, what will happen is we get one go around where we'll do the script as written, and then the rest of it is playtime. Yeah. Because he's got the core of what he needs, and then the rest of it is, right, maybe we'll find something fun in the edit that we can do, that we can cut too quickly, or one of the extensive blooper reels that we'll make for the um, uh, for for YouTube. But yeah, that's, that's sort of, that's kind of how that works. Like, you know, it's he brings on people that he knows can a like you know hang with everyone else in in the cast in terms of sort of like comedy performance but in addition to that there doesn't need to be much quote unquote acting per se yeah right because like he casts people that are recognizable as what they are okay. like you know the character of james in afterlife isn't a million miles away from joe in bad education like yeah. i like to call it a kind of sort of bewildered innocence yeah okay <laughs> which uh you know I, i've proven that i can do that so there didn't need to be much work going into it i just needed to bring what i can do yeah if that makes sense yeah yeah it completely makes sense and with this um you mentioned playtime, will that involve uh improv on certain scenes absolutely absolutely so and how like, are you, you know, with improv do you do you enjoy it i love improv yeah. um it was yeah. a big part of my university career sort of in the extracurricular stuff so i've got a good grounding in improv yeah. And I, I reckon I can hang, but I mean, um, by and large, like you know, as as sort of exuberant as the character of James is, like you know, he exists in a world of extremely funny 
characters, heightened yeah. characters. Yeah. Uh, so m- more more often than not, in the improv scenes, I'll be playing the straight man to someone else's lunacy. Yeah. Uh, which is <laughs> tough when you're working with some of the funniest people working in the British comedy industry because you're like, right, well, I can tell something magical is happening here. Yeah. And I, I mustn't ruin it by laughing. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's tough, man. It's so tough not it's, to corpse. It's it's so hard. I mean, like, you know, working opposite David Earl as Brian Gittins. He's so funny, that dude. Like, the, the stuff that he can spin out seemingly from nowhere. Yeah, man. Coming at 90 degrees to dialogue on the material, and you're like, I, I can't... <laughs> what am I supposed to do? I've just yeah, got to yeah. sort of step back, just... Just, just make sure I'm slightly out of frame and the shoulders start going. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. I did his gong. You know, he's got this gonk show. Yeah. Uh, I did his gonk show and um, died on my ass. But uh, he's like in character that, you know, he's the MC for that. And I was in character. But the way that my character was is sort of like he's trying to play, be very deadpan. And he just completely just destroyed that because it wasn't like I, I was going up having banter with him because that wasn't within my character's realm. Sure. And it, it, but it was just brilliant to watch him just, um, well, just destroy me, but just like, just on the moment, in the moment, just being so like loose, you know, and just, just coming up with shit at the top of his head. I, he's he's uh, a once in a generation performer because like the character of Brian Giddings is so, so complete. Yeah so fully formed that you can basically just slot him into any scenario and yeah, you can you know something's going to happen yeah like he's, he's a volatile chemical element he's the potassium in the water yeah so like you know so, something's going to happen it could be explosive it could be tragic but something will happen yeah much in the same way sort of like early johnny vegas yeah, yeah like you know the, he's a, a nuclear bomb of a comedy performer it's in- incredible to watch and a-, a privilege to watch, I think. Yeah, very much so. And do you find that you have you developed a lot of friendships over the years from people you've met on set? Or do you find it's very much a case of, right, you go and you do your thing. And then, you know, at the end of the day, you rap and, and that's kind of it. You walk away and it's just work. Um, it's, sort of, it's sort of a combination of the two leaning more towards the second. Really? Because okay. um, like these it's hard sometimes to get attached to these things and you try to avoid it where you can, because you know that on rap it's, it, it, it's, it's over. Like, you know, this little yeah. sort of family you've created almost, right? That's it. Like, you know, you're sort of living in this weird little commune where you're in each other's pockets for like, yeah. you know, 14, 16 hours a day. Yeah. And so like, by the end of it, you, you obviously you're, you're friends and you get along. Yeah. But there's a certain degree of separation between sort of where you were, on set and where you were sort of in real life yeah and like you know i, I think I've, i felt this most keenly with bad education really um because we did like you know we, we did all three series and a film over the period of about three years yeah which is a, a lot of stuff to make in a relatively short period of time yeah and like you know i love all of them dearly and if i wanted to get in contact with any of them i know that i absolutely could but i don't and i'm not sure if anyone else does either it could be that i'm left out of the whatsapp that's possible (laughs) um but you know it's it's i I suppose to a degree like you know there's from the outside and it's something i've um explored on some of the q a's that i've done on tiktok yeah like you know sure it you create this thing together but you know creating art is as much a job as it is a craft yes 
and you know how how close are you with your work colleagues generally like you mm. know sure we're we're off there making making a tv show but like in your office do you like hang out with everyone there maybe not right yeah 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 it's true and having you know seen the likes of ricky who's as you say he's got this creative control this authorship does it motivate you to want to create and write your own ideas and shows because obviously you've done stand-up so you have that within you but are you interested in creating um your own sitcom or something along those lines it sort of goes on and off the boil with this okay. like right. sometimes i feel like that that's absolutely what i should be doing yeah but then the the two twin dragons of uh imposter syndrome number one and number yeah. two just the sheer difficulty of getting something from a word document on your laptop to screen like the journey is so daunting it's yeah it's such a long process and like you know i, I find myself like again you know it's, it's not entirely that it's also down to the fact that i sort of i, I look at it and i go this probably isn't good enough <laughs> um yeah and it's you know it's it's, it's a shame and i'm sure like you know if, if i was willing to just absolutely fully commit to it for however long it took i could make something work but i, I feel like may, maybe it will change as i you know get older and like you know because i mean I'm, I'm I'm 28 now and like you know i've been professionally acting for 10 10 years nearly 10 years in february yeah be. and i wonder if when it gets to 15 years i'll be thinking to myself i've done all i can yeah in terms of like my acting career and now i need to think about doing something else and i'd want to stay in a creative field mm. uh so it may end up that i transition into writing or maybe even transition back to stand up and try and conquer that world um I, again it's impossible to say but certainly where i am right now i think to myself acting's what you're good at stay in your lane for now like mm -hmm. you know keep those muscles sharp like you know I'm, I'm always writing i'm always coming up with stuff and thinking about things in in those terms but less of sort of like oh this will definitely get made and more of just don't let those muscles atrophy but for now focus on what you're what you're known best for yeah it's a beautiful thing though being in the comedy industry that you have those options where you're like, you know what, if I want to go off and do stand up again, I can, if I want to try and write something, I can, because they're all interlinked as long as it's funny. But one of the beauties of stand up, and like, you know, this isn't a, like a profound uh, thought that I had, like, you know, a lot of comedians talk about this, but like the, the beauty of being able to do stand up comedy is that, you know, you've got a gig tonight and you're on the train coming in and you write something down when you're on the train mm. And then a few hours later, you'll say it in front of a group of people and it will yeah. live or die based on whether it, you know, it could be funny, it could be not. But the higher wire act of being able to go, this is a thing that I literally wrote today and I've put it in action today. Yeah. There's there's something so beautiful about that. And like, you know, when it comes to creating longer form shows, obviously, you know, the work comes in there. But just, I, I just love the fact that I can have an idea and be able to express it in front of a room full of largely drunk locals in a pub basement in Kentish town. Yeah. Top. <laughs> Excellent. But yeah. So yeah, I love it. So, I mean, on, on that note, you know, had this idea of coming up with the idea and then just going on stage in a way, I guess it's similar to, to TikTok, you know, where you, you can have something and you can just put it out there what was your reasoning behind starting to do you know your videos and TikTok? because as i said before is that you're very you're very open and honest and transparent which i think is a really 
really amazing thing but also um like it takes some bravery doesn't it to like push beyond because as you said you could you could just be an actor and do your thing and post every time you've got a job and keep that sort of like uh kind of shiny quality to it but instead you're you know you you do sort of open it up and you say if you're feeling down and and you answer questions um, from followers about, I don't know, certain things you're going through. What, what, was the, what was the reason behind starting to do that? I mean, it's always been part of my modus operandi on social media, uh, especially sort of around um, uh, 2015, 16, where I personally was going through a bit of a rough place. Okay. And, like, it, it, it occurred to me, sort of especially around then, that, like, uh, when we spoke earlier, sort of like about the sort of mystification process of like, you know, the, the creative industry. Yeah. And uh, especially around that time, and it sort of has continued since then, the whole sort of be kind movement and like, you know, being open with mental health. Yeah. Uh, you know, which is, I mean, people call it brave. And I guess to a certain degree it is, but it's not, it's, I don't feel like I'm making a conscious decision to do something brave. Yeah. Yeah. It's just more sort of like, this is something we should be talking about. Like, you know, we're not all okay and like you know maybe i mean you know i'm not not i'm not saying i'm a super famous celebrity but like you know someone working in like his dream job in a creative industry like can also still suffer and still like you know worry and have stress and anxiety yeah and it's something that i've you know i've, I've tried to communicate to my followers since year dot tiktok sort of ended up I mean, it, this was never the plan with TikTok. Like, you know, I had the app and was sort of like, like flicking through videos and like, oh, this is fun. Mm. And like, you know, occasionally something would come up where it would be someone talking like, you know, with great honesty and great passion uh, about themselves and how they're feeling. And I saw that and that's, I guess that was at the back of my mind. I mean, I started off just doing like these silly little skits while I was walking around my town in the dead of night. <laughs> um, but then that, like, once it started to take off and people were sort of realizing, oh, uh joe from bad educations on tiktok and the numbers started to grow and like questions started to come in I, I thought to myself well this is a near enough perfect way to talk about the actual realities and the ins and outs of working in the creative industry where it's simply i can just pick a question from a list of questions mm. and just talk directly down the le- uh, down the lens for 15 seconds to a minute mm. and then that's it that's the video and then i can upload that and it can be in front of people like from the germ of the idea to completion like almost a mirror opposite of creating your own sitcom yeah i can have an idea and it can be on tiktok within five minutes yeah yeah and that's quite a liberating thing and um do you find that satisfying or i guess you could be both you find it satisfying i was going to say or or do you have elements of anxiety associated with putting these videos out and getting certain feedback from followers uh, honestly it's okay like like i said right. earlier I, I don't consider it a particularly brave act yeah for myself at least i know for other, for others being able to share that is is a great a great burden and a great challenge but for me it's it's not something i mean i, I don't know if it means i'm oversharing or if i'm comfortable with oversharing but like you know i've 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 clearly drawn a line between sort of like my professional and my personal life on there like you know i don't talk about you know where i live or who i date or like you know anything like that that's yeah. for me that's i've section that off but i'm more than happy to talk about the industry and the struggles within it um especially because i get get a lot of questions from um people on there who like have ambitions to work in this field yeah and like you know i'm I'm not doing this to scare them away i'm doing this to make them really really think about it yeah because you know it's easy when you're younger and tiktok does skew younger 
it's easy when you're younger to go, oh, I will just be an actor. Whereas, you know, the, the reality of it is if you want to be an actor, get ready to starve. And if you want to be an actor, it's not just talent. You also have to have an enormous pool of luck. And then once the luck comes, you have to be ready to graft. Like, you know, it's it's not all premieres and PAs and sunshine and rainbows and like vast, vast buckets of cocaine. It's just not like that. Nice. <laughs> and I think I think people should be made aware of that, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. It's it does sound a bit now that I say it out loud that I'm trying to scare them off. And I'm really not. Like it's just a it's just a perspective thing to actually think about the realities of what working in the creative industry is because it's not easy. Yeah. I think it's a great thing that you're doing. I know you're saying you know you didn't feel like it's it's a brave thing to do, but it's definitely a helpful thing to be doing for others. Have you gone in for for castings, for instance, and and have you noticed it having a ricochet in that respect in terms of I don't know casting directors or anyone else saying, oh, I really like what you're doing. I mean, it's it's brought in a couple of um, opportunities, less so much in casting. Like I've I've ended up doing a couple of radio interviews. Okay. Sort of based on the fact that, like, you know, I've, I've been open about something or I've talked about something specific. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's nothing like big time. Like, you know, it's not, it's not anything like that. I mean, I don't know how TikTok will have affected casting so much because I started um, making these videos in April of this year. And as, as at time of recording, we're not back into like actual casting rooms. Everything's still done remotely with self tapes. Yeah. Uh, so it's, feedback is vanishingly small right um although things are changing which is good yeah uh, well well the purported to change which is good yeah uh so you know we'll see but like you know the the sort of in-person aspect of casting is now gone so it's difficult to see what sort of impact i'm if what sort of impact i'm having on the industry hark at me yeah but, uh, <laughs> <Hello>. and <laughs> how how are you finding doing the uh castings remotely do you do you, they, do you prefer them or would you rather be in the room I don't like it. No, I've I've always imagine. I've always prided myself on being someone who's good in the room. Yeah, uh, and I think that's it's how I've got. I think the vast bulk of like some of my jobs, like you know, I have good relationships with casting directors who like sort of treat me as a secret weapon in a way. Yeah, uh, shout out to Tracy Gilliam and Joan Ripley, uh, who basically like you know they'll be presented with a thing and they're like, well, we'll send Ethan in because something will happen. Right. Like, you know, he can, he can change the game. He can shape things like that. And that wouldn't have happened if I was doing it with self-tapes. Like, mm. I feel so desperately sorry for actors who are joining the industry within the last year and a half because it never used to be this dehumanizing. Right, yeah. Like, you know, we, as performers now, like, you know, when we get an audition, we sit there, we learn our lines, we perform to a phone uh, or a camera on a stick, uh, potentially someone reading in. And then you make that and then you send it off into the void. And like half the time, you don't even know if they've got it or not. Yeah. And it sort of feels like, you. I mean, again, these sorts of things are changing. I think there was a lot of, especially early, early days when like everything was up in the air. Um, it felt like that it was a, there was very much a power imbalance between sort of like production and the actors auditioning for it. And okay. I think it's starting to be redressed now. Um, okay. But I mean, one of the advantages or benefits, I guess, is that because we've been forced into this position, we've also, as actors, had to become good camera technicians. Yeah. We've had to become good lighting technicians. Uh, if you work in voiceover, which I've, you know, I've done a smattering of, you become a good audio engineer. Yeah. And like, you know, these, these are good skills to have. 
Um, and like, you know, I, I certainly, in terms of audio engineering, especially, I wouldn't have ever sort of learn how to do it unless I was sort of required to make like reels for uh, voiceover auditions. Yeah, yeah, t- t- totally. Yeah, that makes complete sense. So it's, it's all it's all good skills. It's just, you know, it's 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 troubling to me that like, you know, as I say, that young actors are sort of coming into this industry and like, you know, feeling like I mean, I mean, you know, I've, I've, I've been doing this for a long time and even I sort of feel like I'm like screaming into the void sometimes with these auditions. Yeah, I, can I can't imagine how dehumanizing it must feel. Uh, for young actors who don't have that level of experience. Yeah. Perfect. Hello, sorry to interrupt in the middle of this insightful conversation, which I'm enjoying, I'm sure, just as much as you are. But I need to give you guys a little reminder. Uh, If you like this conversation, this episode, if you like balancing acts in general, then please do subscribe to us, rate and review us, because it makes the world of difference. And the more reviews we get, the more rates we get, the more people can discover the podcast and we can make it go viral, whatever that means. Okay, back to the chat. On um, casting directors and, and, and that side of things, how proactive are you in terms of saying, hey, is Ethan here, I'm still alive. Do you leave that all to your agent or do you still try and build up a personal rapport with casting directors and even even producers and that type of thing i near enough leave it to my agent for the most okay. part right. um like you know i'm i i guess that the kind of split of the deal is that he's sort of on the industry side and i'm sort of on the kind of this is such a wanky phrase but on on the personal branding side right yeah so like you know i run all my social media and like you know i, I like to present who i am there whereas yeah. michael's sort of in charge of presenting me as as a you know the sword for hire comedy mercenary yeah Yeah. (laughs) um and like you know sometimes those worlds overlap like i mentioned with sort of like the radio stuff and you know things like that sometimes it does overlap and that's always fun Mm -hmm. uh but yeah by and large like you know again things are so different now because like you know those relationships i'd have with casting directors and producers would grow organically for auditioning for roles getting them and then working on them especially with the producers like you know it it would grow organically from that yeah uh difference again now is that there, there isn't that so much like you know i'm i mean I'm, I'm in a room with a with a phone on a stick yeah pretending to be whatever it is um i mean it may, it may come back um i don't know i'm not 100 percent sure how wh- whether it would even whether this would be one of those industries that sort of realizes we never really needed to hire out an office space yeah yeah We're and just cutting down on overheads yeah, because uh, I mean, you know, I, I imagine it must be fairly expensive to set up in um, the Union Church on Tottenham Court Road for three days. Yeah, all the have... Monjes. Just think about all oh. the cups of coffees a director has. All of the the avocado toasts. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I I don't know if that's if it will come back. I do think that the you lose something mm. with self tapes. I, I think that that really is the case. I mean, equity have come through recently with um, some sort of like proposed guidelines for self-taping because okay. some you'd, you'd get through things where you'd be like, you'd have maybe 36 hours mm. to learn a four-page script right. uh, with multiple characters and then like be required to not only make that, but edit it and then get it out and everything like that. And like, you know, it's, it's possible to do, yeah, but like you lose quality on it, yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah. And at the end of the day, like if, if you've got, if you want them to be off book and you've given them 36 hours to learn five or six pages, that's not 
a test of acting acumen that's a memory test yeah and like you know it's not that's that's not what you should be looking for but you know equity are putting guidelines in place to allow for more time and like you know hopefully things will will, will sort of skew back to the norm even if we're not directly in person yeah yeah fingers crossed so Ethan, what do you do outside of work to relax and unwind what's your leisure of choice uh well i'm a i'm a, I'm a bigger big old big old dungeons and dragons boy okay this is something that i came into quite late in my life um and i've i found it very much a, a, a solace okay uh in times of trouble um i mean i've always been a big video gamer yeah. and still am to a certain degree um but there's something kind of beautiful about uh like a tabletop role-playing game yeah uh, especially in the group that i have like in uh locally i work with or play with i should say uh, a voiceover artist a musical theater teacher and an it technician with an interest in amateur musical theater interesting did you know each other before you started playing uh yeah one of them is a, a friend from school and okay. i met the other two through her okay and like we've become a very close-knit group and like you that's know, great every every week we you know we we get together and we we, we tell a collaborative story together okay uh with sort of using dice as the as the cue right um and it's as a creative outlet like outside of sort of like acting because like you know they say never make your hobby your job um uh, but like you know i love creative things i love doing creative things yeah and like you know even outside of it being my job i also like to do it in my spare time yeah and so like you know writing these grand campaigns and playing these uh you know incredible characters and everything like that it's a it's, it's, it's a joy to experience and also sort of keeps my i mean it's, it's almost like keeping my acting muscles fresh as well because like you know we we get into it on the role play side which is yeah. because we might as well we're all performers we're all storytellers yeah. so it makes sense it makes it more fun it makes it you know more more engaging and immersive yeah 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 but i guess also the beauty of it is yeah you are sort of flexing those muscles but at the same time you're not doing it for any specific outcome you know any sort of like well right. if i do this and i could get this job or it's just purely for the play of it for the, and the it's pleasure. pure fun yeah like you know what happens in these games will be essentially just between the four of us yeah and like you know those moments that we create together will just be for us and like it's not going to go anywhere and that's kind of freeing in a way yeah, that is until like, you decide to create a dedicated TikTok channel for your Dungeons and Dragons games. No one will watch it. <laughs> You'd be surprised. I bet you it'll go viral. Uh, well, maybe, it's always then. the niche thing. Like, think about all the subreddits. You know, like some of these niche subreddits. Are you a Reddit fan? I, I've, 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 uh, I've, I've dappled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's amazing how many different niche subjects there are, and you've got thousands upon thousands of people interacting with each other on them. I mean, it's it's much the same as you say on TikTok. Like, you know, I, I God knows what the algorithm was feeding me that day, but I accidentally ended up on wood carving TikTok, <laughs> and like, you know, just just spent a good good ten minutes just watching people carve these beautiful sculptures right out of logs. <laughs> and I'm looking at that, and like, you know, this, some of these videos had like millions, millions, millions. of views. I talked to I've talked to a few friends about. Have you heard of uh, Paul Guy? Yes. Oh my god, his videos are amazing. Incredible, incredible. Who who could have foreseen? Who could have foreseen it? <laughs> okay, for anyone listening that doesn't know who Paul Guy is, he's uh, a professional pool cleaner, and he he does TikTok videos, which are sort of these incredible, slickly edited 
uh, montages of him like doing before and afters of these pools. And as a result, he's got over, I think, 6 million followers. And now he like cleans all these celebs' pools. He's like, so today I'm Rio Ferdinand. And then the thing I love about him <laughs> is at the end, he does this thing. It's like, that's it. Um, holler at your boy for the pool work. Love it. Pool boy out. There's a there's another guy whose name escapes me right now, but he's a he's an Australian like uh, phone repairman. Okay, and like he's he, again very slickly edited, where like you know you'd be sent through like a an iPhone six that's been water damaged. Yeah, and he opens up the back and he's narrating it with this this really really high energy Aus- Australian uh, oh. uh, narration, and uh, like at the end of it, like you know he'll he'll take the thing out and replace it, put it back together, the screen will come on. And then it'll just cut back to him going, oh, in a day's work, mate. <laughs> Perfect. What a catchphrase. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's no doubt that he is just selling merch through the roof with that catchphrase and T-shirt. I mean, it's it's improved his business, business no end because like people Incredible. who have phone problems are like, I'll pay a little extra to ship it to this guy. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's smart. It's really smart. Yeah. It's opened I must up. get his name because it, be it would be a shame to I'm definitely gonna talk be about him and not credit him. Yeah, I'm going to be trawling through uh, his TikTok this evening for sure. I will find it, uh, but keep keep going. I will, I will, I will find it. Um, but it's yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's almost like a reincarnation of what happened initially with the internet, and opening up all these different corridors of interests, and and you can sort of you can sort of double down on that on TikTok, and uh, it sort just of come feels up with like, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I mean, it, it feels like early YouTube. Yeah, that's that's a very good point. Yeah, when like no one had any idea what was going to end up being popular, and like you know, sort of the the level of what it could be done. For the record, the guy is called uh, Max Hawker at Max Hawker. Max Hawker, okay. Uh, Two hundred sixty four thousand followers. He repairs phones. We're about to go up to a million after this podcast. Um, I'll tell you. <laughs> I wish. Uh, but yeah, I mean okay. the. the it feels like the internet i mean now that we've been with the internet for as long as we have now it does feel like it it travels in sort of uh a kind of cyclical nature like you know a new yeah. thing will come up and that will be the the king shit for a while yeah because for me tiktok almost feels like a reincarnation of vine but with people absolutely. doing dance moves <laughs> absolutely like you know it is it's chinese vine <laughs> That's what it is. yeah it's chinese vine but like yeah. you know there's in 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 a, in a world where like you know even news sites are like or, or like comedy article websites are obsessed with pivoting to video yeah like they can't keep up i don't think with like free video making software like tiktok where like you know a wood carver or a foam repair guy or a pool cleaner can become to the level of like a, an actual like you know b or c list celebrity yeah. in hollywood yeah and like you know what are you supposed to do as a, as like a newspaper to go right well we've got to get on that it, it it just doesn't it doesn't work like the internet's kind of changed everything really has i mean i know on snap formerly known as snapchat uh they have Did it officially channels. changed its name yeah they just took out the chat they thought it was i just, didn't know that yes it's uh people are just lazy they don't want uh to double up on the words so let's just call it snap well it is a <laughs> Snappier. Yeah. <laughs> that's what they pay in the big bucks for, guys. Yeah, that's a, the comedy muscles never atrophied. I haven't been on stage in three years, but it doesn't matter. It. I haven't Still missed a day. <laughs> uh, but they've they've got like this whole thing where brands, I don't 
no, it's like they, I don't fully understand if I'm honest with you, but brands have their own channels on there and they create all these different brand contents and this whole big separate entity where, you know, they use it as an advertising opportunity. And I'm sure they do it on TikTok as well. But, oh, yeah, uh, for sure. And I mean, I think Instagram did this first. Because like, you know, if, if you're a brand, like being able to produce just like for Instagram, like a slickly made picture or a video yeah. is a great way to just up the level of branding because like you can just plaster it everywhere and like people will share it. Yeah. You know, with in a way, especially with some elements of branding, which I don't particularly like, um, but in to a certain degree, we've essentially become advertisers to ourselves and each other. Yes. Because like we'll share branded content because it is slickly produced and looks good. I mean, Twitter's a bastard for this. Every single time I see the social media team of a brand have a fun little play back and forth with another brand, it makes me feel physically sick. Really? Because yeah, I'm looking at it and I'm like, sorry, KFC and Burger King aren't friends. Yeah. And corporations aren't people. But <laughs> can we stop pretending... <laughs> That this is all sort of like, oh, well, my chicken wing is better than your Whopper. Oh, yeah. I think not good. To- Stop it. Enough. <laughs> it's, it's not funny and it's not cute. Yeah. But, but, they, uh, but they, they get loads of coverage off the back of it. Yeah, because like people retweet it like, lol, KFC won this one. Yeah, yeah. And like, you know, it's, it, like we're, we're, we're lambs marching to our own slaughter in a lot of ways. It's a good way of putting it. Because, uh, I don't know, there's, there's, there's something I think uniquely sick about um internet branding for certain companies i don't know that's one of my high horse issues that i wasn't expecting to articulate on uh, on this podcast if i'm honest no, with you. no no but, but i was it's interesting you said that i was reading an article the other day about how a load of brands uh jumped on on all kinds of social issues from the me too movement to black lives matter and oh, sure. the, so, so that's the term is wokeonomics yeah that sounds about right yeah where they're not necessarily doing it because they believe it to be the right thing to do or because they necessarily inherently believe in these philosophies or ideals but because it's going to increase the value of their brand by making them more trustworthy i certainly certainly the first time that i recognized it was around pride month right and i've I've seen a number of deep dives because every single year a big corporation will change their Twitter logo to have a rainbow in it. Yeah, yeah. But every big corporation has Twitter outlets in different countries, right? Mm. And you can you can type in whatever the name of that brand is, and all their different uh, you know country specific ones will come up, and you can see exactly which ones they don't put the rainbow flag on because they don't want to upset, yeah, say I'm for example, them. just to yeah. pluck a name out of the air, Russia. Yeah. So the logo is still the same on that. And it's it's so like the disguise is it? so thin. Like mm. it's mm. tissue thin. Like and then, you know, that's before you even get into like, you know, especially larger brands like your Coca-Cola's or your Nestle's who have vested interests in yeah, especially extremely toxic right wing politics. Mm. And you know, you change your logo on your thing. Great. It's a rainbow. What are you actually doing though? Yeah, but then the same the same could be said of celebrities as well. You know, during these oh, okay, periods yeah. as well. You know, it's it's and I mean the same could be said of it's anyone really, isn't it? They'll they'll post something in support of something, but then what action are we actually taking as as a result? And that's not to that's not to tar everyone with the same brush because there sure. are uh, there are a 
a number of um, celebs who are more than happy to put their money where their mouth is and their feet on the ground. Yeah. Uh, but certainly, you're, you're absolutely right. There are, I mean, virtue signaling is the term, isn't it? It's, the it's not a term that I particularly enjoy because I feel it's been co-opted by the sort of people who use it in a way which it was not intended. Yeah. <laughs> um, but certainly, the, the basic fundamental principle of just saying that you support something while having no intention of actually helping that's a great definition of virtue signaling really yeah and it's across brands it's across corporations but then even then it, it comes down to normal people like you know I, I see it every time like you know when um god this is getting dark but like when uh when george floyd was murdered the amount of people on my instagram who put up a black square and it was like okay great you helped by doing that did you because <laughs> i know for yeah. a fact none of them contributed any money i think sometimes that's in, in part to do with uh, societal pressure where they feel like if they don't do it they're going to be labeled right as, as being sort of like the anti... whole uh, poppy thing yeah like you yeah, know how exactly it. Yeah. certain interest groups will throw an absolute bitch fit if someone turns up on any day between the 1st of september and the 11th of november not wearing a poppy <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's the same kind of thing. I mean, that kind of, uh, I guess, yeah, societal pressure, you, you know, we could, that goes, traces all the way back. There's always been something on those lines. But I do think definitely social media, what we've been talking about, increases that that pressure and um, almost, uh, you, you know, you're riddled with anxiety in terms of, well, which, which way do I go? How do I navigate through this? I, I sort of, I've, I've broken through the matrix to a certain extent because it just uh, maybe a year or so ago, early days of the pandemic when everyone was losing their minds on social media and Gal Gadot did a version of Imagine with all her celebrity friends and Madonna did something stupid in a bath and you know all that was happening yeah and I'd suddenly the the scales fell from my eyes and I was like the internet isn't real like this is all nonsense nothing that happens on the internet actually matters none of it interesting and like it, I mean it's certainly something that I've because you know I I have a I have a reasonable you know, to sort of make it about me again, I have a reasonable following on mm. social media. You know, not great, but mm. you know, reasonable. Mm -hmm. In reality, no one knows who I am. Like, you know, in the real world, I'm a non-entity. Mm. And looking at those numbers, like, you know, I've got in between April and now on TikTok, I've managed to increase it to nearly seventy thousand followers, or you could say sixty-nine thousand followers, which is you know nice. Yeah, but that hasn't had any real world impacts. Like the internet yeah. isn't real. And like, did that have an impact in terms of you feeling more liberated to then go out and create the content you've been creating on TikTok as a result of knowing that? Absolutely. And yeah. like, it's because you me... feel like you don't give a, you like, you know what? Fuck it. If people judge me, they judge me. It doesn't matter because it isn't real. It's almost it like really part did. of the matrix. It really did. And like, it, the other thing that it did was made me realize how brain damaged terminally online people are. Okay. And I don't use the term brain damage lightly. Yeah. Like I think there are, there are folks, especially on Twitter, which is a, an absolute cesspool of a website. Yeah. But like there are people there who define their entire lives around likes and retweets mm. and it's not healthy. Like you can see these people like, you know, both on right and left saying increasingly outrageous things, chasing clicks, and none of it matters, none of it. Yeah. Like, you know, you, you that's not going to be in your obituary. 
Yeah. You know, he once put up a funny thing where he dunked on Lawrence Fox. It got 5,000 retweets, rest in peace. Like, <laughs> and like, it's especially in, in an age now where, you know, we, we used to kind of sort of loosely use the term rent a gob mm. to, you know, describe someone who would pretend to have opinions for money. Mm-hmm. But that's like a massive industry now. Huge industry. I mean, especially around COVID. I mean, this was the, this was really the time when it sort of went into overdrive because you've got all sorts of different versions of people pretending to have opinions for money. Like, you know, you've got your COVID isn't real folks. You've got your anti-lockdown folks. You've got your anti-masks, you've got your anti-vaxxers or a combination of all of them. And especially people who are prominent, like, like you know, you know, had come from money, like, you know, your Lawrence Foxes or your Right Said Freds or your Julia Hartley Brewers. I don't believe for a second that they actually believe those things. Yeah. It's, it's but you know they it's can so be interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's interesting they were able to just detach from what their ideals and beliefs are to um, fast track their careers as a result. But I think it's it's kind of an evil dimension of the realization that I had. To it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. None of it matters. It's just like you know it will get a it will generate outrage for twenty four hours. You get to be the main character of Twitter for a day. But then it does have impacts in the real world when you have. You know, we talk about cancel culture and people say certain things on Twitter and maybe it's for the same reasons we've just discussed. Maybe they're doing it because they want to cause outrage. And then as a result, they lose career opportunities in the real world. It does bleed over. And I think we're, we're starting to we're starting to see that more and more now. Like, I think because I mean, if you think about it, Lawrence Fox, Lawrence Fox's trajectory down the rabbit hole really started like at the beginning of this year, if you can believe that. Because mm. that was around the time of the question time interview, right? Yeah. And like, you know, seems like a lifetime ago, doesn't it? Right. Yeah. Bean Dad was this year. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um, so that happened, what, in, in January, February, wherever it was. And like, you know, at the time, no disrespect to the man, like, you know, Lawrence Fox's career wasn't going great. Like, we hadn't seen him on TV for a while. His album wasn't selling. So, like, he says a thing and it garners some interest. And now he's on the news and people are talking about him. And like, yeah. you know, he's tapped into a kind of well of frustration amongst uh, people uh, who are feeling a certain way. Mm. And he taps into that and it starts to go and go and go and go and go. But he's known for this now. Mm. Like, you know, he he has made a kind of lateral move from being an actor from a dynasty of actors to being a kind of provocateur and we see it time and again where provocateurs have a shelf life because you just have to keep getting more mad like you know there's no it feels like there's no upper limit but of course there is an upper limit because eventually you're going to cross a line yeah and it's a line you have to constantly be pushing towards because if you're not then you're not garnering the outrage clicks that your uh paymasters are uh, paying you for Piers morgan is a master at that he's, he's the king of it Mm. is the absolute king of it i mean like you know it's but again in the real world it did end up backfiring yeah because you know while you know i'm a i'm a i'm a, I'm a champion of free speech to an extent but like you know there are limits mm. and i think that i mean one of the biggest problems that we have with free speech i think is the either people pretend not to know or genuinely don't know the distinction between what free speech actually means in a political sense and free speech sort of generally like, you know, for all the talk of cancel culture, having your Twitter account deactivated isn't a free speech issue. 
Mm. You know, that's that's a corporation deciding that they don't want that content on their platform in the same way that you have to wear a shirt when you go into a supermarket. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they uh, it's not really a decision that they decide, is it? It's usually well, no. pressurized into that decision because they want the interactions. They want the clicks. It increases the value of their company. But yeah, I understand what you're saying. I mean, then there's a further conversation to have about how that ties into advertisers and everything like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But then you have to then talk about the fact that this isn't a new problem. No. Like, you know, this is this has existed since advertising existed. Yeah. Like, you know, even going back to like, you talk about Hollywood, like even going back to like the Hayes Code, like in the 40s, which like, you know, crippled certain um, actors career because like their careers were built on sort of a kind of live sexuality and innuendo that suddenly wasn't allowed anymore. Yeah. Like this, none of this is new. Like, you know, it's, uh, and I think, I don't know, maybe the internet supercharged it to a certain degree, but I, I just simply feel these days that like, people are happy to sort of be outraged about this sort of stuff when it suits them yeah, and act like it's a new thing when it has ever been thus. It's just, you only care about it now. Yeah. And also there is uh, somewhere to amplify people's voices. So they can be heard now, which wasn't the case in the past, not in, not in the same direct manner. No, no. I mean, you know, in that way, social media has been a blessing and a curse Mm. because before a lot of stuff would be happening like, in the upper levels of corporations and advertising, things will be happening in a vacuum. Yeah. But it's not so much that anymore. Yeah. But then you have, you know, bad actors who will, and I don't, I'm not talking about Lawrence Fox when I say bad actors, lol. <laughs> but like, you know, um, people with bad intentions who are happy to willfully misinterpret the reality of things around them to make a point or get some clicks. Yeah. Like the whole Dr. Zeus thing, if you remember that from a couple of months ago. Yeah. Where they're like, oh, they're cancelling Dr. Zeus. And it's like, no, the company that prints Dr. Zeus have discontinued some books that weren't selling. It's not the same thing. Yeah. But of course, that was then a court celebre of free speech advocates saying, oh, they're banning Dr. Zeus because he's racist. And it's like, mm, no. Yeah. Just these were books that no one has because like Green Eggs and Ham is the big seller. Yeah. And it, as it should be because it's a good book. Yeah. It's a great book. Uh, the- <laughs> But that idea of going back to this idea of people creating outrage to, you know, for, for clickbait almost the thing before social media. And I mean, they kind of arose together. But if you think back to, if you think about the, the creation of reality TV and then particularly the Kardashians who were able just to create a whole lifestyle and a whole brand just by presenting a certain version of themselves, which then stemmed a whole sort of beauty industry. And, you know, we've got now you know young young girls and and I know some guys as well have aspirations to just have lip filler etc because of the amount of influence that they had they were showing a version of of themselves they're very smart in what they were doing it was all calculated and it was all branding it's that but amplified and much more direct now i think when history looks back on this time the fact that influencer became a job will be like the lead in the roman water pipes yeah <laughs> of our civilization like you know not to say that like you know people shouldn't be allowed to make a job of like moving trends because again it is just basically advertising but under a different under a different uh guise i guess but i think you're absolutely right that with the rise of reality tv sort of in the early noughties and through to now like sure like it became a case where this is going to sound so 
mean, and I, I don't mean it to sound this way, but there's no other way to phrase it. Suddenly, you matter. Yeah. What you think and what you reckon matters now. Yeah. And sorry, sometimes what you think doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I hate to be so blunt about it, but most of us, in fact, nearly all of us, aren't that important or interesting. Not really. Yeah. He says on a podcast with his friend Steve, he makes a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's been all talking the time for an now. hour and five minutes about himself. <laughs> <laughs> at least you have the self-awareness to realise it. I've seen the scales. They're falling from my eyes. The internet isn't real. <laughs> Everyone throw your phones into the sea. <laughs> Let's go back to the Stone Ages. Um, <laughs> but don't throw your phone into the sea because obviously follow me on TikTok, obviously. Yeah, exactly. I make um, great content. <laughs> so you obviously, you're clearly well-read. And so that leads me on, uh, it's a nice segue to my next question. Are there any books that have had um, a positive impact or inspired you in some shape or form over the years? doesn't have to be career related necessarily. Uh, I would say of late, like recently, uh, a kind of a one-two punch would be um, James O'Brien's two books, How to Be Right in a World Gone Wrong okay. and How to Be Wrong, uh, the follow-up. Okay. Uh, where, again, it was, it was, it was, I imagine it was a, contributing factor to the scales falling from my eyes to a certain degree mm. uh, because actually being able to step back and analyze deeply held opinions and like look at who who you are and why you are mm. is is i found particularly interesting i'd recommend both books as sort of like a twofer uh, on the one side looking at sort of like how you can you know essentially argue your own point and like you know be good in debate mm. where on the other side actually criticizing yourself and like looking at why you believe that and things yeah um you know because for, for, for the longest time i was like yeah well you know I'm, I'm, a, I'm a i'm a creature of the left you know center left with socialist sensibilities mm-hmm. uh and it was instructive i think to look at someone analyzing themselves and then think about well why do you think that yeah and i think i think that's a healthy thing that we all can do especially as like you know i mean we've talked a lot about social media but certainly i think it will help it certainly helped me realize how damaging my engagement with social media can be right both to myself and to others yeah but you but you seem to have turned that on its head and you're using it in a positive sense yeah in terms of the content that you're releasing for sure and like you know i think there is you know know, for all the talk of how awful social media is there is good there Mm. and like you know it should be championed and fought for uh but that doesn't happen until we really really analyze ourselves and take a look at why we do the things that we do mm. why we believe the things that we believe and why we feel it necessary to spread those things around yeah i think a lot of things could be solved a lot of problems that we're facing now could be solved if people had the ability to actually think about why they are how they are mm. i think there's a real lack of introspection across all stripes of you know twitter trolls to the highest echelons of government yeah we've lost the ability i think to self-reflect yeah and uh you know that, that cliche when it comes to likes of trolls or whoever it is that just wants to fire out anger into the world it's obviously they're not dealing with their own emotions a lot of the time and as a result of that you know they build up a sense of anger and resentment at others and just fire that out because it makes them feel better about themselves in the moment. I mean, I get very, very rarely I get uh, negative comments on TikTok. It's actually quite a nice community that we've fostered there. 
Yeah. But when it does happen, instead of blowing up like I would have done maybe two or three years ago, yeah, my reaction is just simply to go, and why, why did you say that? Right. What, what did you mean by that? Do you get re- any replies? More often than not, after a couple of comments, I get an apology. Ah, interesting. Because I think yeah. like when if, if you force someone to go, yeah, I, I said that and that was out of order. Yeah. Nine times out of 10, people are more than happy to actually, you know, reflect on their own actions and take responsibility for them. Yeah. But I think with the, with the distance of the internet, like, you know, being able to post something and not actually have to physically say it to someone's yes. face, like, yeah. but like when even over the internet, if you challenge someone on it, nine times out of 10, they'll be like, do you know what? You're right. That was out of order. Yeah. And the one out of 10 who don't do that, well, that's what the block button's for. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. Yeah. Vanquish the keyboard warriors. That's it. Have them scream in the dark, <laughs> as we all are. <laughs> Final question for you. Uh, what does the idea of balance mean to you or not, Ethan Lawrence? The idea of balance, a very interesting question. Um, I think in terms of my career, a lot of times. And I think for balance for me is represented largely by security. You know, I like being in a situation where I don't have to worry. I feel equilibrium when I'm not stressed. Um, and I know that almost seems like a trite answer in a way, uh, but I do genuinely mean it. Like mm. balance comes from having your needs fulfilled. And I'm very lucky in that regard. Like, you know, I, I work in an industry that I've always wanted to work in. It's my dream job. And like for all the problems that it has, I wouldn't change it. Well, I would change some things, but I wouldn't change the actual working part of it for the world. And like, yeah. you know, when the going's good and I don't have to worry about it, it's well paid enough that I don't have to like be panicking. And when it's bad, obviously there are backups. I can, I can always go back to pizza delivery. I had a right laugh doing that. But in terms of balance, yeah. Balance is equilibrium and equilibrium is being in a position where you're not stressed and not having to worry, I think. Great. Brilliant. All right, man. Been really, really great chatting with you. Um, and you. It'd be great to see you again. Yeah, yeah. We'll have to do IRL for sure. I'd love to just go for a drink or go to a, a gig. Uh, well, that'd be nice. Know. That'd be a nice, gig. wouldn't it? Yeah. In a old gig. Gigaroonie. <laughs> Uh, we've, um, ironically, obviously, we've been talking about social media and I'm going to ask you where is best to follow you on the internet. Uh, well, my uh, my social media is all unified under one name, uh, which is at Ethan D. Lawrence. That's mm-hmm. on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Uh, also, if you want to buy a personalized bespoke video off me, you can go to my Cameo, where I'll do a video for your mum for a birthday if you want. And it's relatively cheap. I'm treating it like a tip to tip jar, essentially. If you've liked my work and want a video, slap some money in the piggy bank and I'll, I'll do you a nice video. Yeah, fine. <laughs> All right, look, Ethan, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. It's been great chatting with you. It's been great chatting to you. Thank you so much for having me. Perfect. deserves the best 
and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.